KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. My name is Mike Hagan, and this is Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
All righty. Good evening or good morning to you, good day to you, wherever you might be as you happen to be listening to this radio program. This is Radio Orbit. My name is Mike Hagan. It's 11.07 on the 16th of October, 2006, and I'm pleased to be with you tonight, as always, on Monday nights from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. in the morning. And we'll do it up again tonight, as we do every week. Okay, uh, the 16th of October, Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen are going to be with me in probably about a half an hour. I had originally planned to do something different this week. As uh, you know, if you listened to the program last week, we weren't going to have any special guests this week. I have an interview on tape that I was going to run for you, uh, a brief one that's maybe 25 or 30 minutes long, but I wasn't planning on having anyone on the air with us live. But some things have happened in Hawaii with uh, our friends Dr. Michael Heisen and Star Newland over the last few days, and they called me a couple days ago and wanted to see if we might have an opportunity to get on the air, and we do. So, all things uh, willing, we'll get on my email here in the next, uh, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes, hopefully, and I should have a phone number where I can get a hold of, uh, of Michael and Star. All right? As of yet, I don't have any content. Uh, I don't have the contact information for them. They're always all over the place. It's always impossible to get a hold of them. It's amazing we ever get on the air at all. But we'll hopefully do it up here in about 20 minutes with them, okay? All right, uh, so tonight, dolphins and whales. Dr. Michael Heisen, my friend and amazing neurobiologist and marine biologist and uh, a man of many skills, trust me. And Star Newland, his associate and business partner and a woman who's doing amazing work on her own. And we'll speak with both of them in uh, just a little while, all right? They've been on the air, both of them, before many times, uh, sometimes alone, sometimes together, but probably three or four times, five times maybe, Michael and Star been on uh, the program here. So look forward to having them again in just a little while. All right, thanks to Debbie, Free Range Radio Theater. As always, 10 p.m., one hour before this program, Debbie does great programming on KOPN with amazing radio theater every week, and this week no different. The rats in the walls. You know, it's not October until you have a cannibalism story. So we've got that one taken care of. Thanks to Debbie, as always. Halloween coming up just in a week or two, so I'm sure Debbie's got some other interesting stuff for us lined up over the next couple weeks, all right? Before Debbie and Free Range Radio Theater, Kelvin and Jason doing it up, always. Jazz plus blues equals Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Tech Radio before that has always given us information on how to run our gadgets I appreciate the work that Justin and John put into their program every week. And Jeff Wheeler, early on, with Uncommon Light, from 3 to 5 p.m., getting things going every Monday, all right? Okay, thanks big time to Jonathan Zapp. Amazing program last weekend, uh, last week, I should say, on Monday. Of course, Jonathan Zapp was with us. We talked about 2012, the McKenna brothers, uh, the singularity idea, the energy vampires, mind parasites, sheesh, all kinds of stuff. We had... Uh, Listen to that. That's the phone ringing from Hawaii. All right? So what we do here is we just click off, and then we let Star leave a message, and then the next time I go get a piece of music to put on, I'll call them. All right? That's good news, though. Looks like we'll be able to talk to Michael and Star in just a little while. All right, so anyway, Jonathan Zapp. Thanks a whole lot. His work on Carl Jung, amazing. And uh, we'll have Jonathan back on the air sometime, uh, certainly in the future. All right? Awesome stuff. All right, what else? Uh, had the wonderful music of Ism, my friends from Brooklyn. Thanks to Andre and the band for making great music and sharing it with us. If you missed the show, it's on the web, as always. 
Just uh, hop on there, www.mikehagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com. Find the program archives or the music page, and you can find information about me and the guests that are on the program and the musicians that perform here, okay? All right, tonight, as I said, Star and Michael Heisen, lots of amazing things happening in their world. As a matter of fact, a big earthquake shaking things up in Hawaii uh, just, uh, uh, what, a day ago or so. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even, I'm not sure how we're going to get them on the phone now that I think about that. They, uh, they actually had to leave the island, I think, to get somewhere else. Uh, but it's never easy to get them, as I said, so tonight no different. Hopefully we'll work it out uh, because they are in the middle, regardless of the earthquake, they're in the middle of some extraordinary developments there. Uh, Star and Michael, both today, when I spoke with them, were on a Navy base and have made a tremendous amount of prog- uh, progress dealing with the United States Navy and the activities or some of the activities that the Navy undergoes, uh, uh, low-frequency active sonar being the main issue that Star and Michael are concerned with, I think. But we'll talk with them about it when we uh, get them on the line here. But anyway, they're doing amazing work and have been for quite some time, and I'm glad that they're making progress right now uh, on a number of different fronts. All right, So that's coming up. In, like I say, 20 minutes or so. Uh, I also have a really special interview that I taped about a week ago that I'd like to share at some point during tonight's broadcast. I'm not sure when we'll be able to do it because things are going to get sort of mixed up here. But uh, his name is Miguel Jose Yacoman. He is a PhD engineering professor and an expert in nanotechnology. And he's the guy who was behind the Silver Report that I've been hollering about for 18 months that was conducted by the University of Texas in cooperation with the University of Mexico at Nuevo Leon. And it's an amazing paper that was published in the Journal of Nanobiotechnology in March of 2005. And I've been screaming to the hills about it for the last 18 months, and I've yet to get a lot of feedback with regard to it. So I decided that I would just call Dr. Yakuman, and, and uh, luckily for me, he was receptive, and I was able to spend some time on the phone with him, like I say, a little over a week ago, and I'm going to air that interview for you all tonight. If you don't know what I'm talking about, stick around. It's one of the most amazing developments in infectious disease or the fighting and curing and mitigating of infectious disease that I've ever seen since I was introduced to the work of Royal Raymond Rife. So for people who think that it's outrageous and, un, uh, and impossible, it should have happened 100 years ago. And it did happen 100 years ago, basically. But it's been, all this stuff has been suppressed for a long, long time. But uh, now it's happening in the halls of mainstream science. I mean, you can't hold this stuff down forever. Eventually, people just solve problems, whether you want them to or not. So anyway, Miguel Jose Yacoman, Dr. Yacoman, amazing interview that I'll air for you guys sometime tonight. All right? We'll have the music of Larry, my buddy, my man, the web wizard, Larry Norager. He'll be playing his stuff throughout the program tonight. Wonderful independent music from a super talent. I've been trying to get Larry to give me his music for over a year so that he could share it with us and let you guys hear it. And tonight we're going to get to do it. uh, That first song you heard, by the way, that introed the show, cool funky piece that uh, simply called Radio Orbit 2006. Anyway, Larry doing great work. He's amazing. He's an amazing artist, obviously. He does all the website stuff, but he's also a tremendous musician. And his uh, digital art is very, very great as well. 
In fact, I should congratulate him. Uh, he has a graphic art series. It's called Dolphin Dance that's been chosen by a sportswear company. I think they're called Ohana Sportswear. And uh, there's a new clothing line that they are coming out with, and they're going to be uh, using some of Larry's artwork. So congratulations for that, and I think they're going to be selling posters and lots of other stuff there, uh, stuff there in Hawaii as well. So good for you, Larry. We're hoping to get you settled back there in Hawaii, and uh, that's a great start to that. All right, um, lots in store. Stick around. Let's play one more, I guess, from Larry now because uh, Star's trying to get a hold of me. So let me get another piece of music here on for you all. I'll get my act together, see if I can get these guys on the phone, and we'll be back, okay? It's Mike, Mike Hagan, and uh, Radio Orbit. Alright, www.mikehagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com. And on the web, kopn.org. It is our pledge drive uh, week every year, a couple times a year. We come to you and uh, look for your support, contributions to keep the station up and running and uh, keep the shows coming to you. And tonight I'll be doing that throughout the program, trying to convince some of you out there Give us a phone call here or do it over the web and donate some of your hard-earned green cash money to KOPN and to Radio Orbit for doing everything that we do. All right? Back in a minute, we'll talk more about this stuff. And uh, we'll have Michael Heisen, Dr. Michael Heisen to you, and uh, Star Newland in just a few minutes. Okay?
right, everybody. Hi, it's Mike. Back at you here, KOPN Radio Orbit, 89.5 FM, Columbia, Missouri. That was another song from Larry Clifford Norager. That was called Hypno Trance. And we'll hear more from Larry for the rest of the program tonight, okay? Hello to everybody out there listening over the web, live or otherwise. We are streaming right now and every week via Cosmic Waves Radio Network, www.cosmicwavesradio.com. Thanks to everybody over there, the girls and guys, for making it happen live on the net every Monday night, okay? And uh, speaking of Larry, thanks to Larry every week, as always, the web wizard, doing great stuff on the website and every week something new. So get on there and go take a look for yourself, okay? www.mikehagan.com. Everybody out there sending art and music. Wonderful. Thank you. Send more, 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 more. We'll check it out and play it or show it or share it, something. And again, hats off to Larry for putting it all together for us, okay? On the web at MikeHagan.com, swing on over there and you'll have access to everything that we're doing. Take a look-see and let us know what you think, all right? The forum is up and has been busy. Lots of interesting topics being discussed over there. There's a live chat room up and active right now. Hello to everybody over there. I'll peek in there in a few minutes. And uh, let me give out my contact information here really quickly. The email address, orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, at AOL.com. The website, one more time, MikeHagan.com. The phone number here, it is Pledge Drive Night, 573-874-5676, 1-800-895-5676, if you're outside of the 573 area code. And I encourage people to go on the web at kopn.org. And if you'd like to donate and become a member, contribute to the cause here at KOPN, it's a great way to learn about the station, too, and see what we're doing in the new digital domain. So hop on the web, kopn.org, and maybe make a donation through the website. You can leave the radio on. Don't even have to pick up the phone. And if you like this program and appreciate what KOPN is doing in general, We'd certainly appreciate your support. It's the only way we, only way we can continue. As a matter of fact, all right. Okay, let's see. Uh, like I said, tonight things are a little bit different. We've got Michael and Star on the line. We'll have them in about five minutes or so. And uh, space weather, we'll probably do a little bit later. I've got this other interview with Dr. Yakaman that I want to air for you sometime tonight. That's an amazing interview. As I said, the author of the paper that was published in March of 2005 regarding the medicinal and uh, antiviral and antibacterial qualities of silver nanoparticles. And anyway, Jose Yakaman, I had an amazing talk with him. So I'll air that for you in a little while later during the program, okay? Anyway, uh, Michael and Star, in just a few minutes here. Next week, Jan Irvin, one of the authors of The Pharmacratic Inquisition. Amazing stuff. Wait to hear what Jan Irvin has to say. Uh, the week after that, Bardo. Got Kent Stedman, Halloween. Always have the Bard on during the Halloween show. This year we'll do the same thing. All right. Got Dale Pendell in the wings sometime in the next couple, three, four weeks. Jim Beard, my wonderful Lakota elder from Colorado. Dr. Roland Griffiths, I'm still trying. Not having much, much success, though. Uh, Stephen Buner, probably sometime by the end of the year. Jay Widener back, John Major Jenkins just spoke with him a couple days ago. So lots of stuff going on and lots of other people that I haven't mentioned that I'm just sort of, uh, you know, uh, getting to know, that sort of thing, before we bring them on the program. So anyway, lots of stuff and lots of interesting things. If you would like to get involved, as I said, the phone number is here, 573-874-5676. I've got all kinds of goodies 
for people who donate to the program. And I'll tell you a little bit about some of those things right now. Let's see. KOPN t-shirts. If you donate $50, you get a, K, uh, a KOPN t-shirt right off the bat if you like it. We have subscriptions to magazines and lots of other things. Uh, Colors Dollars is a way to sort of make your money go a little bit further. If you donate X amount of dollars, you'll return uh, or you'll be returned in kind a percentage of your pledge in Colors Dollars that you can spend at some of the local businesses and service providers here in the Columbia area. But uh, the good stuff is stuff that I've got. I've got books. I've got uh, a copy of The Lost Star of Myth and Time. You may remember a couple of interviews that we've done with Walter Cruttenden over the last year and a half or so. But anyway, his wonderful book, The Lost Star of Myth and Time, got a copy of that. Land of No Horizon, Kevin and Matthew Taylor, I've got a copy of that book. I've actually got two copies of Daniel Pinchbeck's uh, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. Really weird story with Dan Pinchbeck. I wanted to have him on the program. And he was interested in it, sent me three copies of his book, which is a really wonderful book, by the way. And, uh, and then neither him or his publicist ever returned another one of my communications. <laughs> so anyway, i got a couple of his books to give away. If anybody's interested in uh, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl by uh, Daniel Pinchback, sort of synthesizes a bunch of information that's been brought out over the last 30, 40 years. What else? Um, copy of Journey Through the Spheres, maybe. Wonderful musical CD that was put together, a tribute to Terrence McKenna, my friend and mentor. Maybe a copy of the radio program, anyone that you might like, past programs, this sort of thing. Uh, my friend Will Sright, who's a wonderful photojournalist uh, who makes his home here in Columbia right now, actually took some great photos of me in the studio uh, and in the radio station here not long ago. And uh, we can even make a couple of those things available. Maybe the first five people that donate, uh, we can give them a signed photograph from Will Sright. Trust me, the, the photo of me won't be worth anything, but Will's signature at the bottom of it might be worth something someday. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm looking at one of them right now. Very, very cool stuff. So, anyway, thank you, Will, for, uh, for doing that. I really appreciate it. He's uh, a, a, a great new friend uh, of mine who just uh, moved to Columbia here recently. So, anyway, and last but not least, uh, for local and regional people, if you donate to the program, and I don't care if you do it over the web or if you call here at the station, um, I'm having a little private gathering at my place in Rochport on Saturday night and I'd invite anybody who donates to the program certainly to come out and join us. It'll be a real fun time. That's all I'll say. But if you're interested in, in uh, joining us, me and some of my f best friends, uh, give us a call. 573-874-5676 1-800-895-KOPN or on the web at www.kopn .org. All right? Okay, it's Mike, and it's Radio Orbit. We're going to play a little underwriting spot here that I need to do, and then we'll come back with Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen in just a minute and a half or so. All right, so it's Mike. Stick around. We'll be back in just a few minutes. It's Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia. You're listening to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM.
All right, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's Radio Orbit. And I'm Mike Hagan. And, uh, you know, I never know how we do it because it's always sketchy. But I have Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen on the line with me again from Hawaii. They've been on the program together and alone many times before. And you guys, we did it again. I'm not going to do a fancy intro because uh, for the people who aren't familiar, they just need to go back and catch up. But Michael and Star, hello. Aloha. Aloha. How are you? Fabulous. Well, I, I've been talking for the last half hour about how it's never... And now I have to worry about saying the word not, too. So anyway, it's always interesting trying to get you guys uh, connected with me here. And we're getting better at it, even though it's always from, uh, from who knows where. Where are you tonight? We're in Kauai. In, in Kauai? Where we lived out the big earthquake of the big island. Yeah. What was happened to be in a new place? How big was the earthquake there in Hawaii? It was six over six point zero, right? Six point zero, they say, and it was. Oh, I've, I've heard it, I've heard as high as six six. Yeah. Oh, six six. Six six. Yeah. Wow, that's a big shaker, Michael. Yeah. It's just a touch below what it would take to generate a tsunami. Great. Major, you know, something to be concerned about or at least aware of. Hey, Star, I'm going to ask you to nestle up close to that phone, okay? Okay. All right, that's a little bit better. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. There we go. It's a different phone. <laughs> yeah, and I know we've got you both on the same line, and sometimes one phone tries to grab more power than the other one. So. Oh, we could also be further apart from each other. That might help a little bit, probably. Okay, I'm going to step outside on the lanai, then overlooking this beautiful valley here in Kauai. And, you know, we always have, like, a different adventure about where we are, how we got there, what it took to keep us there. <laughs> we only knew, really, this morning that we would have to stay on Kauai to have this interview and go on live with you tonight. Well, I know because I have listeners that sent me an email and said, well, I thought well, there was going to be an open line show and an open chat show, and now it turns out you're having uh, Dr. Heisen and Star on the program. What gives? And I said, well, I'm not sure, really. I, they, they contacted me a couple days ago. There's interesting stuff happening in Hawaii, and uh, I know you guys had uh, uh, an interesting day probably, so may, maybe bring us up to speed. What's going on there? There what was, of course, the earthquake. Um, among other things, knocked out the power in Oahu until recently. Uh -huh. um, Kauai was spared completely. Um, Big Island had some, or Hawaii had various things happen. All the roads, or all the major roads that connect from the north, south, and saddle roads through the middle are all cut by various things. We probably got some damaged bridges, things like that. Waimea's got a lot of broken glass. Mm -hmm. and uh, So they're big, digging out from that, but they have power back, and everybody's doing pretty well. So it, ha it was primarily centered on one of the islands? They, um, they put it right off Kauai-Ihai Harbor um, on the west side of uh, Hawaii. Hmm. Did you guys feel it? Oh, yes. Star felt it earlier. Oh, I started feeling it coming in the night before over here in Kauai. I felt trembles and shaking, the house shaking. And hmm. I thought it was the dog scratching the leaves or something right nearby because we were in our friend's house for the first time and so but throughout the night and then even in the morning just before it actually rolled i kept feeling it and i was just wondering what the heck is going on i'm kind of I'm glad i i'm glad i blocked from myself knowing that it was going to be an earthquake coming because then i would have been all agitated <laughs> <laughs> so i just let it be the dog shaking <laughs> but it shook pretty good and so and then i was awake um wide awake when the house started like really moving and going back and forth it's like wow an earthquake how cool <laughs> Well, I guess Hawaii's on sort of a volcanic 
ridge there anyway, right, Michael? So how, oh, yeah. how, how frequent do you have these sort of things? Um, let's see. This, one, this particular one was considered um, something like seven years overdue. There's a 110-year cycle in this region that's been going on for about 2,000 years. Hmm. So it was expectable, kind of. Yes, except that we understand they had downgraded that area to dormant huh. uh, about um, five years ago, I think it was. No such thing as dormant in my world. Mm -hmm. Just matters of how long they're sleeping, right? Right. Yeah, right. But then in 1989, there was a lava flow shift from Mauna Loa into that area. Uh -huh. And then, then it quit and so on. So uh, things change down there. There's big vent systems that go way deep. Wow. It was, was reputed to be about 14 miles deep. Amazing. Yeah, that's pretty deep for uh, for the origin point of an earthquake. A lot of times they're much more shallow than that. Well, uh, what else? You guys had an interesting day today. Tell us a little bit about what's happening uh, out there and some of the progress you're making with the United States Navy. Uh, we had such a great time with them today. Give thanks. <laughs> they were just wonderful. And I guess, you know what, um, we met them in Hilo, Hawaii, on September 16th at scoping meeting which was, I guess, like preparatory for the community and, and part of the community's input opportunity for their EIS. And what do the people have to say? We, the people, have to say. What's that. EIS, Star? Um, environmental Impact Study. Uh-huh. And so this is a necessary part of anything anybody wants to do, really, is how is it going to um, We went down there just to meet them and to explore the situation firsthand more so. And we did. And that day, on the way over from the Saddle Road from Kona, where I had been staying, I had this prayer, you know, because I'm going to be a grandmother and uh, wanting to congratulate you and Ashley, too, mm. about the uh, birth of your new child. Thank you. And um, aloha to Alex, too, the big brother. <laughs> Thanks big for that. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is a very uh, heated up time politically with the Middle East and everything, and there was talk about, you know, nuclear weapons being detonated in different places. It was just like oh, what are we going to do, God? I mean, this is getting a little bit on the edge. Mm -hmm. So I felt that the Navy is representative of the military mind and system. Um, must also have a heart, though, because there are people in it just like us, mm -hmm. because there are people like us, whatever that means, but in this way, um, people with heart everywhere. And this is a good thing to know, so that whatever the conditions, whatever the circumstances, there's someone with heart nearby that we can connect with and change outcomes, you know, raise that consciousness. And I think in a way, and that's what, you know, the Master said when he said, when two or more are gathered in my name. Well, maybe it's just in the name of the heart. Mm. So um, my prayer was to meet the heart of the Navy, and lo and behold, we went there that night and met it. And it was just profound, really profound, so much so that I considered it about the third most powerful day of my life, and the first two being the births of my children. Wow. Well, we spoke shortly afterwards, and I remember how excited you were about it, and I actually spoke a little bit on the air and said that we would have you guys back shortly to talk more about it, uh, uh -huh. but, but I remember that uh, you were very enthusiastic and said that it was certainly an unexpected um, experience that you had. Right, it was. Well, it was, in a way, a surprise, but one that, you know, it came as an affirmation, as a response to an affirmation. And it's important for us all to remember, you know, when we put out a sincere prayer for an answer, we'll get it. Mm. And this was my answer that, you know, on the geckos here are a little like um, the greers. They make a funny sound. 
like that, mm-hmm. uh, when they agree with what you're saying. <laughs> so it was about harmony. It was about what can we do individually and as a collective to establish harmony and basically draw our line within ourselves as, you know, from from this point on, let's say, we're just going to be about harmony, about restoring that proper state to the earth and to her people. And this is the sort of message that you brought to the U.S. Navy. People are going to say that's silliness. Mm. Well, um, but the truth is, we can show through quantum physics that it's absolutely so, so they can see how silly it is. Or they want it to be, but the fact is, we can show the quantum physics of the truth and the validity of this. So, argue with the blonde. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Dura, the commander of the Pacific Missile Test Range, ended up wearing a domestic harmony ribbon. uh, ribbon. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've just arranged to have uh, at least 100 shipped to... uh, Barking sands to be distributed to people that want to wear them. Well, tell us a little bit about that initiative, Star. What is the Domestic Harmony Initiative? Uh, well, the Domestic Harmony Initiative um, came in response to a lady, a friend, Kathy, who picked me up one day while I was hitchhiking. And so we talked a story. We met for the first time this time. And I said, so, like, what do you do? And she says, oh, I teach women about domestic violence. And I went, oh, what do you mean you teach them about domestic violence? I mean, you teach them about domestic harmony. <laughs> that's a little but, language sculpting for everybody, if you don't recognize it. <laughs> yeah, that's language sculpting. And so, lo and behold, in these six years, because now it's in the sixth year of our initiative, we have, like, a huge amount of interest and support. We have proclamations on our website, which is linked to yours, of course, um, www.planetpuna.com. That's right. And... These are proclamations from the county council and the governor. And I can say we're working for the international one to have November 11th, 11-11, be the International Day of Harmony so that we can celebrate each of us making an intention, each of us signaling a desire to have more of that in our lives and therefore the world. As above, so below. Truly, what we want we have to be. It's just fundamental. So it's been a big meditation for me for many years to cultivate. And I still have ways to go, believe me. <laughs> but um, but still, at least I, I have an intention and a desire right. and a prayer to, to be as much like this and to help that happen. So people are caught on. It's so fun. They're wearing green ribbons all over the place, and we have bumper stickers that say, just say yes to domestic harmony. <laughs> And um, I had a wonderful meeting with our chief of police here, Larry Mahuna, and uh, prosecutor Jay Kimura about domestic harmony awareness and secured their support for it as an initiative and something they would support and, you know, get green ribbons for their staff who wants to wear them. And we're making uh, inroads. And now we have a whole month of November um, designated Domestic Harmony Awareness Month. And we have like four or five local events throughout East Hawaii to celebrate this. And what's happening from the very beginning is that year by year, day by day, more people get interested and involved and aware and participate. So it's growing. (laughs) How fun. All right. Now, how does the Domestic Harmony Initiative tie in with the Navy and... uh, I guess I'd like to hear more about that story. You, you, you guys met with some representatives from the Navy, as you mentioned, as in, in sort of an introductory situation in September, but today was a little bit more serious. I know you spent 
a lot of time today at one of the bases, perhaps? Is that right? Three hours. Yeah. We had a wonderful three-hour yeah. tour today. Yeah, the West Point of Kauai is basically Barking Sands uh, uh, Naval Base. Okay. It's the Pacific Missile Testing Range. The Pacific Missile Testing Range. Yeah. So they're testing what out there, Michael? Uh, they test submarines, torpedoes, and missiles. Huh. Among other things, they're testing uh, suborbital or, or exo-atmospheric intercept weapons. Great. For uh, anti-satellite weapons and mm -hmm. things like that. And theirs are working. <laughs> <laughs> they showed us several that, several of their anti-missile missiles that worked. So I said, how come I only hear about the ones that miss? And they said, oh, that's the Army. <laughs> <laughs> and they also said, oh, that's the media, too. They kind of um, pulled back sometimes. Oh, I'm sure. About them. So you mean when you, you mean you mean we're zero getting the full truth from the media? Absolutely. God, yes. That's that's one of the most uh, useful things that I learned from this whole exercise. Wow. Was uh, <laughs> basically from the military right. point of view, the media set up the military as like the Hollywood villain, one right. of them, right. and they treat them like that. You know, they they gen up this straw man navy, say, and write about this mythical thing, which is totally different than what the reality is. <laughs> or at least. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Right, right. At least that's the Navy's point of view, because they're trying to put out, they say, the truth as huh. best they can, and they get spun by the media. Interesting. Maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but my intuition, you know, is certainly sort of the opposite of that, you know, that uh, that that the military is always bungling things, and that the media, if anything, is trying to protect them, you know what I mean? Well, you have to have seen what we saw. Actually, we've got some footage there, too, and spoken with the people we met, and uh, just witnessed the tremendous care and attention. I mean, it's hardly something you can, like, fake overnight, like paint it nice, and then that's the real thing. Right. This, what we saw was clear evidence of a great deal of thought, caring, attention to um, the value of life, the importance of integration, and respect for the culture and for the community of which they are part. Mm -hmm. It just... You know, like, wow, we can sound delighted and amazed. Right. One of the ladies in the public information office has been there for, I don't know, 30 years or so. They called her out of retirement to help with the EIS. Hmm. And it's her people, are the her Hawaiian ohana, are the ones who uh, have inhabited this region of Barking Sands area forever. And so uh, when people say, ah, how are the bones being taken care of and so on, she says, that's my family. I'm, we're taking care of them just fine, thank you. Hmm, and interesting. Then, then they have a, uh, a green turtle beach where the green turtles come up. Uh -huh. They have special programs for the monk seals and for the newell shearwater, also known as the ao, and the laysan albatrosses that come. They've got a whole thing where they, where they find the albatross chicks and incubate them and then ship them off to a different part of the island where, where they're less trouble to aircraft and so on. Huh, amazing. Oh, yes. And this fellow, today we spent the day, the morning with Tom Clemens, uh, the information officer. Uh, I asked if he'd be willing to be interviewed by you to be part of, you know, our talk story with you about this. And he said, absolutely, you know, give him a call if I have his information for you, Michael. Yeah, I'd be interested in speaking with him. Because, now, certainly I respect you guys and you know it. I mean, I love you both and I appreciate all of the work that you're doing. So, But I'm actually perplexed still because I think of low-frequency active sonar, for example, and I think, well, this doesn't, to me, seem like the most caring, thoughtful type of behavior. So how do we parse that with, with what you guys experienced? 
Should I take this? <laughs> might as well get it back. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, okay. go to well, again. certainly there's been a lot of environmental news about some incidents in the Bahamas and the Shoop incident around Vancouver and others mm-hmm. where the Navy was involved in something that may have injured or killed whales and dolphins. And they admit to that. You know, they're wondering about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what piqued my attention was, uh, first of all, the, a biologist named Conrad. I'm sorry, I've forgotten his last name right now, but a very sincere guy that works with the albatrosses and other things. We talked to him about all yeah, this. He's a marine biologist. Yeah, he's a marine John biologist. With albatrosses. And, um, and then John, um, uh, sorry, I've forgotten the last name. What was the John fellow you talked with? Okay. Berger. Yeah. Yes, and all of them, to a man, and, and the commander, all said if they thought they were out there killing whales right and left or anything like that, they would quit. Hmm. They would. Yeah, and I think they would. You know, there's certain uh, there's a certain biologist uh, camaraderie that I had with uh, Conrad, where I trust him. You know, mm-hmm. so what he said was that there were cases. I mean, of course it can be damaging, and of course it's very loud, and of course we need to figure out better ways to uh, deal with yeah. mitigate. However, the thing that got my attention, which one, which which I want to track, is that Conrad said there have been cases where they have the mid-range frequency sonar, they turn it on, the dolphins come from wherever, and they bow ride the boat while the, frequency, um, while the sonar is on. Mm-hmm. And they've had other incidences where they do the same sort of thing with the low frequency sonar, and the humpbacks come closer and closer, presumably, to investigate what's going on, mm-hmm. and when they get too close, they have to turn it off, because by the rules, they have to turn it off. Mm-hmm. So, if just those two stories are true, then it puts this whole thing in a different light. If the whales and dolphins thought the thing was legal, they would be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I'm just in the process of doing due diligence and tracking that. And the Navy people we've been talking to are open to helping. Okay. So I thought, let's open the door, get the facts on the table if we can, get a fair witness account of everything in there, and see where we are. Right, and I guess now, I mean, as, as I put more brain power onto it, I, I imagine there are different frequencies that are that have different effects. I mean, just like... Like anything, there may be some that are actually pleasing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It stimulates certain parts of their brain. Wow. Like kids with the heavy, you know, with the heavy metal rock. Sure, maybe sure. Them the equivalent. I, I, I think for me, my, my impression or my intuition was that because the cetacea are, are auditory beings primarily, in other words, that's their primary sense of, uh, you know, of experiencing uh-huh. the world, mm-hmm. I compare it to eyesight, I guess, for, m- for me. And I think, well, what must it... I guess the way that it's sold or the way that the story is told, you know, to me it would just be sort of similar to, you know, having blinding sunlight in my face, you know, or something to the point where I couldn't even, you know, or something. But maybe that's just a bad or not an accurate metaphor. No, you could divert yourself from that blinding sunlight just like they could. But the fact that they go straight toward it, now Uh what's that about? Right, right, right. So it's like they're going towards it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other story I got that, that has yet to be confirmed, but I intend to call him, there's a hero of ours named Peter Tyak, who mm-hmm. worked for years on things like dolphin signature whistles. Yes. And several, uh, probably on the order of 10 years ago, he went to work with the Navy. And I was thinking somewhat emotionally, oh, a traitor, you know, he went to work for the Navy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we have to say we've come 100 Navy plus. But it turns out that, that when Tyak started working with the Navy, he absolutely hated them. He was absolutely convinced that it was that their sonars were killing whales and so forth and so on. And after some ten years of work, he's changed his mind. Hmm. And you know, he's out there doing things like 190 dB pings to see what that does to the hearing thresholds, 
So I want to find out more about what's going on rather than say right. just accept the environmental spin on everything. Mm-hmm. No, I think that I, th- I think that's that's prudent position for sure. And y- and you two, I, th- I think it's very important, Michael, because you and Star are two people who who we can trust. Quite frankly, I mean, your between the two of you, your credentials and your backgrounds and your histories are, you know, as far as I'm concerned, generate trust. And so, so hearing this stuff from you is big is big news. I think I have to uh, I have to wonder about John Lilly again. You know, I think about about uh, your mentor and friend John Lilly, both of you. What did, where did John fall in this whole thing? Because I know, or at least I my my impression from his writings was that he left. The, the naval work pretty saddened. Oh, yeah, because of what they were going to do, some of the applications of John's work, which were different than where he was coming from. It was out of his hands how they were going to use it, so he chose to withdraw from that line of endeavor. But we feel, in fact, we're working right now with um, one of his sons, Philip Bailey Jr., Lily Jr., rather, um, in putting up John Lilly's archives. Mm-hmm. His letters, his library, up on the internet, making a digital library. Wonderful! It's about time somebody did that. Yes, exactly. So we feel John would be very pleased. And the funny thing is, he keeps popping up like in people's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Michael can tell you some stories about this, but yeah, he's he's very, he's present. Echo. In fact, we're staying at the home of Dr. Larry Rehouse, mm-hmm. who was John's um, one of John's personal physicians. Is that right? And we met, Larry and I, and my son, Tiger, when he was a baby, on um, Labor Day Monday, 1989, at John Lilly's home in Malibu at the time. So this is wonderful to be here, to come full circle, to be able to tell Larry about what happened with the Navy people today, and to just get together and bring out the dolphin part of us. Wow. Well, what else? I mean, you'll have to tell us a little bit more about your experiences today oh well we yeah we got to see for example the um, uh, uh, the shearwater colony which is uh, fenced in with holes in it so people can peek through they made some PVC pipes uh, and buried them to offer them nesting opportunities oh yeah because tell why because a certain kind of grass that had grown there natively but has been taken over since by invasive species Mm -hmm. the new kind of grass has a different kind of root structure so those burrows collapse that's why they figured out to put in these tubes there to make it a better, stronger nest. And the birds and, love it. And which creatures use the tubes? The sheer water. They're what? like a small albatross, if you will, about a pound. Oh, it's a uh, bird. The they call it's called. Uh-oh, or the Newell Shearwater. Huh. And these particular guys are very sensitive to light. They go out and hunt at night over the sea. And then they get themselves filled with fish. And they come back in flying basically in ground effect, very low to the ground. And they, um, they'll, they'll orient on almost any light that's there. So one of the funny stories was this guy was standing at uh, Shenanigans, one of their restaurant uh, officer clubs there, and they had, they had this uh, Navy shindig, so everybody was in their Navy white. The guy's standing out on the lanai, and one of the shearwaters whacked right into him. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was something white, and he was following it. Um, yeah, but then they put up, they have lights on the base, of course, but because of the shear waters, what they've done is they have solar-powered lights that are facing down so that they're blocked, the light is blocked from bothering the birds that they're flying in. 
they won awards for this, and they took the award money and put it back into more things. I mean, you like these people to be your neighbor. I have to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything we saw about them today. Now, of course, this is just the tip of an iceberg, but at least the top looks good for starts, and we can just keep going down and keep finding good people there everywhere. Well, that's the thing. I think if there's a lesson in any of this stuff, I mean, it's that there are good people everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we certainly know that, and, and, it, and that's why ideology is such a, such a joke, you know, because uh-huh. it has nothing to do with where you were born or what religion you practice or, or whatever right. that is. It, right. I mean, there are good and bad folks in all these different areas. Well, um, hurting and feeling better. I think we could get away from that good, bad. People who are what we call bad are hurting people. Hmm. People who feel good do good stuff. You know, if they're if they're running their energies in a good way, in a natural way, whatever, they do good things. Mm -hmm. But people who are hurting, they hurt. Mm -hmm. So, and hurt is what we would call bad. Whether it's hurting your neighbor or your cat or whatever the issue is, or domestic violence. You see, that comes brings us back to the whole thing of. What are we doing day by day in our lives to make a difference, to reach out to ourselves, first of all, to have more kindness to ourselves, and then to everything around us? Because that will help make the difference. That will make friends of people like the Navy. And part of that prayer that I had that day was to meet the people who, like myself, wanted to live in a shared culture with the cetacea as part of our future and were willing and able to do something to help this happen. So to a person, the people we spoke with all loved the idea of having, like, human dolphin habitat, of having an interspecies birth cohort, of having treaty relationships with the Cetacean Commonwealth. (laughs) They loved it. They want just what we want. All right. Well, look, that's what we're going to come back. Uh, We'll take a little break here. We're right at the top of the hour here at Straight Up Midnight. So let's take a break. We'll come back and let's talk a little bit about the Cetacean Commonwealth and about these ideas of yeah. treaties and, and, and real communication and, and relationship building between ourselves and the, and the dolphins and the whales. And uh, as crazy as that might sound to some people, this is real stuff that's happening and it's on the table. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, so, Michael, start back in a minute, okay? Yep. All right, everybody, it's uh, Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. My guests are Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen. You can find information about them on the web at www.planetpuna.com. And you can always link over there from my site at mikehagan.com. All right, uh, like I said, just a, just a tick after midnight now. So let's take a break here. We'll play a piece of music here from our good friend, Larry Norager. Uh, who wrote and, per- and uh, performed and recorded and produced all of the music that you're hearing tonight. I've been trying to get Larry to give us music uh, for the last year or so, and we got it tonight. So here's another one from L. Clifford Norager. This one's called Electrofusion Part 2. It's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. 
Good evening, everybody. It's Mike. I'm back at you here. It's Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, about eight minutes after midnight now on the 17th of October. And I've got Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen on the line with me here live from another undisclosed location in Hawaii, <laughs> as usual. And uh, thanks for making it happen, you guys. I know it wasn't easy, so. It was fun, though. Yeah. It's always fun, <laughs> Star. <laughs> and we just got to the <laughs> We had to wait till we got home to get our friend's phone number so we could call you and email you. So we had about like 14 minutes to disappear. <laughs> oh, jeez, I know, I know. But the dolphins are about like being fluent in the moment and being able to respond to life, like surf life. So today was a really amazing and magnificent right. surfing adventure. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about that, Michael, because, um, oh, yeah. okay, you, you guys went to the Navy 
looking for information and looking to make friends and looking to learn for sure but you also had some ideas of your own that you wanted to present to them sure. uh... let's talk a little bit about what you guys had to say and what their responses were to some of the ideas that you and star brought forward um, well first of all i just wanted to, to comment on the personal connection we ended up having because uh... mark dara the commander is working on anti-missile systems and again, he's then, the commander. Let's talk about that base again, real fast, Michael, so people uh, recognize how, how how significant it is. Yeah, the the the, uh, the generic name for it is Barking Sands Naval Base. It's the Pacific Missile Test Range, and so they test everything the Navy's doing with missiles and torpedoes, submarines, hydrophones, that sort of. They're like a platform from which other events take place. They're the event stage. Hmm. Right. They're like the stadium. They don't personally do much of anything there if I got it correctly. Yeah, they yes, are available better. for others who are checking things out. All right, so they're, they're cutting edge research and, and like development and all this stuff. Their own right. But they do have, for example, a, about 200 hydrophones uh, over about 11,000 square miles. And the hydrophones are used for? Um, picking up sounds of submarines, tracking uh, torpedoes, that sort of thing. And also dolphins and whales. Yes. Oh, yeah, we got to hear the dolphins, uh, the whales, rather, that they had recorded. Right. During we're in the, the last whale season, and then they're going to send us um, copies of that, and we'll put it up on Planet Puna for people to listen to. So we're now in a position where they can share their uh, sounds, especially at humpbacks and sperm whales, with us. So that was nice. But uh, very quickly on Mark Dura, it was just interesting because I'd worked on the uh, Strategic Defense Initiative uh, plans early on. Yeah, years ago, right? When you yes, were with, what, JPL or something like that? Well, yes, and through uh, a private group called the Citizens Advisory Council on National Space Policy. And anyway, we wrote a number of reports along those lines. So here it was nice to see. Here's Mark Dura testing the same sort of thing mm -hmm. out of Barking Sands. And he's the and he knew Gary. He knew Gary Hudson, who I'd worked with, and we just learned today that he had grown up reading Heinlein novels huh. and came, comes from Kansas, Missouri. Wow, Robert Heinlein, wonderful stuff. Kansas City, Missouri. So... Um, you know, that kind of personal connection is uh, just amazing, that's all. And, and it, it seems to cut through a lot of different Sure, really valuable. have that kind of feeling with, with the guy. I agree, I agree. So and, he's the command, and he's the commander of the base star? Yes. Wow, okay, so that's big time. Yeah. It is, and he's the one who put on the domestic harmony ribbon on September 16th when we met and said, yes, he'd be happy to take 100 and distribute them, and whoever wanted to could have them, hmm. or if they want or whatever. But... Uh, this brings us to why we called you Friday about the upcoming election and why we helped initiate this show with you tonight, Mike Hagan, and yeah. your audience. Because it's about Michael and I were driving across the saddle road on the way over to catch our flight to here. And we had this like discussion before, but we had this epiphany about it this time, about what we really need to do with this election and why we want to speak to your audience now is we want to swing the vote. We want to squish the vote, actually, is what we're calling it, like the swish of a flute, and invite we, the people, to vote individual by individual candidate, regardless of party, because I find in my own experience here on the Big Island and in the state, I have people, both parties, I like them personally. I've met them, I've worked with them, I've hung out with them, whatever, and even though we have differences of opinion, we see things differently. The bottom line is they have good hearts, and let's say they care about something that's really important to me, like domestic harmony or, or safe baby resolution or the sonar issue and things like this. So I'm willing to put aside, like, my thoughts about Republican, Democrat, whatever, mm -hmm. and just 
vote for the person who best represents where I'm personally coming from. Yeah, that sure makes sense. I mean, that's the way it was supposed to be uh, designed, wasn't it? Exactly. Well, this is a consensus kind of reality because what we see day in and day out on the media is they're polarizing us, them, red, blues, all that fighting, all that infighting, while they're really distracting us from the business at hand, which is to have a governance that works for all the people. Hello? That's why they are there. That's why we call them public servants. Mm -hmm. They're there to serve us. They've got it backwards. <laughs> They're there to serve us. So we're suggesting through the Cetacean Commonwealth, because this is kind of their kind of thinking, that um, people vote for the candidates who best reflect their hearts. You see? Just completely confounds that whole thing of the polarization that's taking place. Because in a way, that's sucking our energy out. You know, all these issues about this and that, but it's really taking our attention from what's really going on, which is, look at what's happening. We can see what's really going on. We need to get together and have consensus awareness, a consensus governance, where we just look at what's the highest best outcome for all, so that we're all part of the decision, we're all part of why is this important, our input about it is important, because there are universal issues. We have to have clean air, water, everything like that. We have to find other ways to provide energy. Our recent earthquake this weekend shows us how vulnerable we are in a heartbeat. In a moment, it could all change. There was how Star, par Pardon me, Star. Was there, with the earthquake, was there a big loss of power or, 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 or oh, services yeah. and all that? Yes, Oahu was taken out. 95% of Oahu's power was down from the beginning. And on the Big Island, there were losses of power intermittent in East Hawaii, but more extensively in West Hawaii, where the epicenter was. So how are, how are we being prepared to simplify life? Because when part of the island is cut off from another part of the island because the roads are broken, who's in that place? Who's right around us when that happens? Who are our friends, our allies? Who's the pod that surrounds each of us? so that when push comes to shove, we know how to be there for each other. Mm -hmm. This is what we're being asked. And this was like, I think, a wake-up call. A lot of people in Hawaii think this was like a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. So that we can learn how to implement what we know has to come. Harmony, um, resourcefulness, sustainability, what's good for the earth is good for us. Right. For the children is good for us. Absolutely, Sarah. And I think about the word domestic. And, you know, it can be extended quite easily beyond the four walls of the home. <laughs> you know, domestic is where you live, baby. Right. <laughs> and we live here on this planet. It is our home. You know? call it Ohana, or the cetacean <laughs> might call it the pod. Yes, yes. So I thought we could have the swish vote. The swish of a fluke can change the world. <laughs> it's, the or, it's like the butterfly effect. It's the yeah, swish exactly. effect. Exactly. <laughs> swish of a fluke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why we got so excited. We had to call you right away. Well, it's uh, true, though. <laughs> it's, it's really true. And, you know, in my own personal, you know, life's experience, I'm finding more and more. And it's been profound, actually, that what, what I've been going through for the last couple of years. But it has to do with this idea of friendship and partnership and alliance uh -huh. and these sorts of ideas. And I, I was sort of hit with the realization that, okay, it's obvious that... You know, the friends that you have 
and the people that you hang out with and the associations that you make and the you know the individuals that you decide to do business with etc those are the people that will be around you or that you will be around when whatever happens whenever it happens right yeah. that seems sort of obvious when you find when you think about it but but the further thing that's come to me is that those alliances and those relationships and those friendships better not be exclusively human. Right. They better we we better be looking at other species uh to you know, to form relationships with, to form friendships, to form alliances, because that's where it's at. And they may be plants, they may be animals, they may be beautiful swimming creatures. But but we need to look at all of these things, and I think it's really important. Very. All right. So you take these ideas to the Navy, and uh, and, and 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 what do they say to you? They think it's fun. <laughs> they like us. I mean, <laughs> Michael. They say so ourselves. They like us. We're like well, it they brightens may... up their time because they've they've had experiences about you know people being pretty antagonistic and stuff like that. So. And what about their experiences with the dolphins and the whales themselves? They must recognize some intelligence there. Well, yes, of course they do. Of course they do. That's why they're yeah. there to preserve their well-being just like we are. Well, Barking Sands is at least one of the places where the dolphin seal teams practice. Wow. They bring the dolphins and the sea lions and do things like retrieve torpedoes. And uh, they've been very useful in finding mines and things like that in the Straits of Hormuz and elsewhere. So, yes, the Navy's got more interaction going with dolphins than most most people on the planet. But they seem, in your opinion, at least as far as what you know so far, they seem to be working in a, in a cooperative relationship. It's not a... Uh, uh, it's, in other words, they're not being coerced. There's there any way you can coerce a dolphin? They just swim away. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> You or know what they did? Okay. Or they, they could be stubborn beyond belief. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like we can, yeah. Yeah. So you have to have the dolphin on your side, or is there anything happens. Right. So uh, they may have done some very nasty things in the early days, uh, but everything we've learned since is they've stopped doing that because the dolphins are now, you know, just on a practical level. They put millions of dollars worth of training and such into them. They become very valuable, and they're treated that way. Right, and and I and I think that you've told me stories that in that in the past that much of that sort of nefarious research was given up because they were unsuccessful. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the best stories I heard, and it's only a story. I've yet to be able to validate it, but they said they had some limpet mines, and they'd give them to the dolphins, and the dolphin was supposed to put it on the uh, so-called enemy ship that had like the like the friendly ships would have some sort of brass marker, so they'd be left alone. So the dolphins would play the game. They'd put five limpid mines on the enemy side and then give one back to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and then there was a story about the dolphins that went in with the, with the uh, underwater demolition guys at the Bay of Pigs. And supposedly, as soon as they realized it was a real war, they all left. They boogied. Even though they'd been training for two or three years to do this. Mm-hmm. Amazing. All right, so back to the Navy and, and, and your propositions. The Cetacean Commonwealth, these ideas of, of treaty well, and, and this sort of thing. Well, we spoke with them about it, because they already know about it now. I mean, today we had already gotten past that part in a way. Um, but we did say we'd be talking about it tonight with you. Well, let's tell, let, let's tell the listeners exactly what uh, sort of, at least a little bit of detail about what, what, what we're proposing here. Well, the Cetacean Commonwealth is the union, if you will, of signatories to an agreement between humans and the Cetacean Consciousness until we get... Um, 
effective interspecies communication between us and them, that we speak on their behalf. We go out to the public, we go out to the agencies, we go out to the government, we go out to the Navy, um, speaking on their behalf to support their rights to be, their rights to thrive, and our rights to have a conscious interactive relationship with them as part of a shared global culture, which is just really uh, coming full circle of the earlier social culture that we had between the humans and the cetacea, which Michael can tell you about, because he's just been reading this wonderful book by John Lillian, uh, Sir Ashley Montague. The Dolphin in History. Hmm. Yeah. And, and basically, all the things we've been talking about, about the intelligence, the language, the friendliness, and so on, was known for thousands of years throughout the ancient world, and it was common knowledge that everybody knew. And that somehow, for the last 1,800 years, we lost it. <laughs> now, as we've lost so many things. So uh, the knowledge of all that has been eclipsed, and then the, the, mo the so-called modern naturalists came up and looked at the ancient tales and said, oh, they're just making that up, it's all myth. And now, based on what I've experienced in my own life and what Sarge's experienced in her life and many people we've talked to you about, it's all true. What the ancients were talking about simply happens. And we have new things to report, too. <laughs> like that story we heard yesterday at this party where this complete stranger shows up and he relates his friend's dolphin story to us about the dolphins out there surfing. Michael? Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm... Oh, yeah, John Paul. Uh, well, it was about oh, John Paul, right. Yeah. Um, you've got me. I'm sorry. Okay, so we're surfing together. Off, um, John Paul was surfing out in some uh, surfwears. Oh, Australia. right, right. Okay. Yeah, now I got it. Okay. Yeah, so they're, they're surfing off, together with the dolphins off the boat. And this one fellow dives in with the dolphins. The dolphin comes up, for his experience is that the dolphin comes up right under him, like giving him a ride in front of the dorsal fin, oh. and takes him down, say, into the water. Right. And he, fi he figures he was gone like five minutes. No, less than or that. Or less than that. Less than that. <laughs> yeah, he just, just one minute. He that's right. That's right. He just dove and came up, is what he thought. But the people around him, uh, what was the time? At least 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Yeah. The guy on the boat, his buddy was wondering and starting to get really scared because where was his friend? He had been gone 15 full minutes. But in his mind, he was just riding the back of the dolphin for one minute. And where and was dolphin, he? Um, I thought it was Australia. No, I mean, where was he for the 15 minutes? Oh, well, he was in their realm. He was in their world. You know, like they tell those stories about the fairylands, right? Over mm -hmm. in Ireland and many cultures sure, have sure. this kind of... Um, so-called uh, legends and myths, but they're quite real. We experienced something like this last summer ourselves anyway over in England. With My friends of ours. So there's a way to collapse time and expand it. One just has to know how to do it. But the dolphins have really coherent minds, and they help us go right into that bubble where All right. it's a minute I, for them and 15 minutes to those looking around to see where you got to. A similar story from a fellow named John Walsh in Los Angeles area that he was swimming off uh, Kauai with the dolphins, and they started spiraling around and somehow opened up this purple vortex, he says. That's how he described it. And he and the dolphins went into this vortex, and he was basically just in some different place swimming around with them. And again, he thought it was like five minutes. When he came back, he'd been gone from his friends for like 20, and they, were, they thought he'd drowned or something. They were getting very upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking of these amazing stories and and uh, they're not apocryphal I mean we have evidence now that the dolphins have a tremendous ability to manipulate 
the environment of water, right? And they also can manipulate air underwater. Oh, the oh, bubble yeah. rings. And stuff. Right, right. So, gosh, I mean, my, my first intuition was, wow, they made a big bubble or something, and they were able to, to put air inside of it, and then these people can actually breathe and... Well, yes, except their, their description of it is that they're swimming underwater with the dolphins. They just sort of need to breathe for a while. That's so bizarre. Whatever's yeah. going on. I wonder, if, I wonder if the dolphin can actually somehow physically move molecules of oxygen, you know, you know from the blowhole perhaps up through the, into the body of a human where they don't even realize it's happening or something. Well, um, that's possible, I suppose. Well, anyway, I mean, I just, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a physiological way to, ha to make it happen, you know. Well, people could go into those a quantum state, Michael, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like we do or tend to when we're children. There's a certain kind of coherent brainwave state that we can access under those conditions and being with, like, a more coherent mind like the dolphin mind. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree, but at the same time, I mean, I've, I've had altered states for sure, but I always got to be breathing, baby. Well, um, well, the others have had other experiences. Mm. Okay. All right. All right. So um, we just have to go with what the data is and people's experiences. I agree with that. I well, certainly just, agree with that. Just to bring up one peripheral thing, Graham Hancock was just on the Eric Bell George Norrie show, mm -hmm. and he was basically laying out that all the shamans for thousands of years have actually been going into alternate realities, different dimensions, if you will. Yes. And that they're all quite real. They're just uh, we've just yet to encompass them within Western science. Right, and like the Arctic shamans, for example, the Eskimo shamans, part of their initiation process could involve something like going up under an ice flow and like being there in the water overnight, 24 hours, whatever, staying down there. Mm. And there's, there's a lot about the human potential and the human capability, let's say, that we've yet to even access or yeah. be readily available. Yeah, I agree. In general. I agree. I agree. Oh, wow, there's Flash of lightning. <laughs> oh, cool. oh, and then just to mention another interesting thing that I just ran into, there's a book that was republished by Dick Stephen, Stephen, okay, Stephen, and uh, it's a novel by Jack London called The Star Rover, and it's about a actual fellow named Ed Morrill who ran afoul of Folsom Prison in San Quentin and was kept in solitary confinement under extreme torture conditions for, like, years, five years in solitary confinement. Hey, we, don't, we don't torture people in the United States, right? Yes, they did. And the upshot was that he learned through, to be telepathic. He says he learned how to get out of body, do astral travel, go into his past lives, um, be telepathically in touch with whoever he wanted. So he says in one of his lines, and these people think that by hanging me they can... Stop my immortality. I'll be back. Mm -hmm. I've been here for many lives, and I'll be back. Wow. And by doing that, he was able to forgive them, and by a whole bunch of synchronistic things, he was pardoned and, and then was a major force in prison reform. Amazing. Well, that's a wonderful story, and I, and I, and I fully believe all that stuff. I mean, I, I certainly believe that the potential of the human being has yet to be realized, or, or again, it's one of these things that's been lost and forgotten. Um, but I might interject my... Um, because the safe baby resolution is popping up here because mm. what we're talking about when people have a natural, gentle kind of birth experience, especially into water, especially with dolphins present, that certain kind of subtle structures of the brain are maintained and supported. And the transition into gravity is um, much easier, much softer on them. So... These kids are often more telepathic, they're more creative, they're more helpful, their brains are more coherent. Mm -hmm. And 
we could have a lot more access to our native capabilities right. if we had the appropriate kind of start. When we talk about the intelligence of the dolphins and the whales, um, one thing that always needs to be considered is that they're in a buoyant environment, whereas humans have to like factor in and use a tremendous amount of their mind power to take into consideration where they are vis-a-vis gravity. Mm-hmm. The cetacea have the rest of that part of their brain available to do other things. That's right. So when we have children, again, born gently, raised in the water to some extent, and able to maintain that kind of contact with a more natural state, their capabilities would be really, really powerful. Maybe you that's know, why we cut ourselves off from it. Huh? Maybe, maybe. You know, I, I actually, we'll, we'll take a break here in a minute, you guys, but, Star, I don't know if I told you, but I had a real nice conversation with your friend Janelle. Uh, oh, yes, a, a you week told me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well let's, let's talk about it with your audience. Okay, let's do it. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about safe baby resolution. Oh. And then we'll then, then we'll tie it all together with uh, with the dolphin commonwealth and the and the ideas of pod living and all that stuff. I think it all makes sense okay. together. Okay. Yeah. All right. I called her just before we went on air to tell her we were going on because she's right in her neighborhood there, so she can hear us live. All right. So cool. Now. Well, we will play another song here. This is actually called the song of the whales and. Uh, oh. I, and it's uh, Larry uh, wrote and produced all the stuff that we're hearing tonight. He's an amazing musician, by the way, if you guys didn't know. Yes. Uh, but uh, anyway, this one is called Song of the Whales. And I think that he actually produced it and wrote it about over 20 years ago. I think that, wow. I think that the title Song of the Whales has probably been used uh, since... But I think he may have been the first one to actually do it, although no one's ever heard it until now. So, wow. anyway, well, here it is. Uh, we'd love to speak about Larry for a few minutes, just you know, to let people know about who he is and what he's been doing and the amazing oh, yeah. giftedness he has and well, cares so graciously. I couldn't. So, um, if we could do that when we come back and then do the rest. Absolutely, we'll do it for sure because I have the absolute same feelings about Larry as you guys do. So, all right, this is Song of the Whales. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. My guests are Star Newland and Dr. Michael Heisen from the Sirius Institute in Puna, Hawaii. You can find information about them on the web at www.planetpuna.com. And you can always link over there from mikehagen.com as well. And we'll play another song here, as I said, from Larry Norager. And it is Pledge Drive Week as well, and I'd appreciate anyone who has the gumption to help contribute to the radio station and to keep supporting uh, Radio Orbit and the venue from which I broadcast. And you can do that on the web at kopn.org. And we have lots of great gifts and uh, premiums for any of you who do so. And if you send me an email at orbitradio at AOL.com and uh, you want to talk to me about it, how you can help support, do that too. But please, uh, if you have the means, please share it with our station and with Radio Orbit because we really cannot do it without you. Simple as that. All right? Okay, it's Mike, and we'll be back in just a minute. Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia.
Alright everybody, hi, it's Mike. You're listening to KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM, it's Radio Orbit. We've got the beautiful music of Larry Norager on the background here. This is the last minute and a half or so of beautiful piece of music called Song of the Whales. And I'm just going to let it roll here in the background. It's quite a long song, so we'll just let it finish off with Star and Michael and I. And say hello again to the two of them. Hi, you guys. Hello. Hi. Thanks for sticking around. Sure. Okay, so, uh, Star. Yes. Off the air, we were talking a little bit about children, and we're talking about, uh, well, people who harm children, maybe. And the fact that these people have been harmed most likely as well and how we must approach this whole situation so let's talk a little bit about the safe baby initiative and let's talk about people and people who have been hurt and people who are doing hurtful things and how we sort of get out of the cycle well as you and i were discussing people who are hurting do hurtful things you hardly ever find someone who feels good who's happy in life who's who's you know who's uh, kind of like all right, everybody, not sure what happened there, but as always, we have trouble from Hawaii, so stick around. Back in a minute, I'll get those guys back on the phone. It's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia. Sorry, I have to cut away from that wonderful piece of music there. It's called Distant Worlds. Maybe we'll hear the rest of that in a few minutes. But I had to get Star and Michael back on the line here. It, it would zero be an interview with Star and Michael if we didn't have phone problems. So uh. there you are. We anticipate it and have no problem with it. So, all right, back to it, Star. Sorry we lost you there. But oh, yeah. we were talking a little bit about, uh, about the children, I guess. Uh-huh. Again, back to what we were starting with about hurting people or or. Happy people doing yes. the things for others. Let's sculpt this consciousness right now. The more we focus on creating soundness or wellness from the very beginning, the more there is of it. So we generated um, a safe baby resolution, myself and our local legislators here on the Big Island and, and Oahu, as well as Janelle and Raju over in India, to put together a resolution, a document, a piece of policy that basically claims the right of our children to be born as well as we can give them, to be gestated as well as we can do it, to take care of the hapai, or Hawaiian word for pregnant ladies, expectant moms, because we know now we can show step by step, almost day by day, what happens when there's a shock or trauma or alcohol or drugs at different parts of the gestational cycle. We know how we can do better. We have to do better because we live day after day with the suffering of everyone around us because of what happened when their mom was pregnant, nearly everyone around us. I live in a community that has had a lot of suffering, tremendous pain and drug use and alcohol use and a lot of domestic violence. That's why Pahoa, our town, is officially now the home of domestic harmony. Um, according to our Main Street Pahoa group, which I'm vice president of, of which I'm vice president, mm-hmm. because 
where there's so much, so much that the people are carrying over the years, generations of um, malfunctioning systems and, you know, hurt. So as the home of domestic harmony, we're standing behind more kindness, more aloha, more attention, more um, awareness about the babies that are coming. Why do we have to be good to the expectant mom? Up to 20% reported pregnant moms are subjected to domestic violence. So the baby is getting it. Hello? We're preconditioning our children for violence by what they are getting in utero, which they then expect when they come out. So right away we have like 20% of created um, violence, potential violence, okay? Which can be mediated, of course, to some extent by the environment. But if it's part of what Elena Tinetti calls the limbic imprint, yes. what, you, what you were growing as you were coming in, then it's really deep in the system. Mm-hmm. And certain things have to be worked out. This has to be brought up and cleared through so that... And it's big work to work through it. Yes. But it's always easier to do it right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it'll always be better for the individual and their family and their society and their culture and everything in the world to do it as good as we can or as well as we can from the beginning. From the beginning. But for the couple, three generations of us that have already been through these types of things, it, it, it's also helpful for, for us to recognize it, that it's happened to us yes. and to try to recover our own selves and therefore try to help the future generations exactly. too. Exactly. Well, because of connectivity and we're all connected, we're all like one immense continuum of oneness, if you will, what we give to our children comes back for us. Mm. So when we get conscious, when we bring the light of awareness and compassion because our parents did either the best they could or the most they were capable of doing. Mm-hmm. You see, parents who abused themselves and molested themselves, yes, they have a greater likelihood of passing this on. Mm-hmm. But again, we can have compassion for them. We can help them to see where this came from, how it got to be this way. And open up that part of them that lets them know that indeed they're still human beings, they're still could be really wonderful people mm. who had this thing happen to them. I agree. But we can bring them back into the community. We can we can help them. Right. Yeah, I mean, helping them. That's the amazing irony of the situation is that those of us and we are all us. Uh huh. You know uh, those of us who are the most hurtful are most likely the ones who have been harmed the deepest. And, yes. of, and, course. and <laughs> of course, right? And so, so your your words resonate perfectly well with me and beautifully because we have to have compassion for those not only for those who are being hurt but certainly for those who have been hurt. Yes. And yes. it helps your compassion to know that when there when there are shocks like this, you get physical shocks in the brain right. that are visible on X-ray and MRI all mm-hmm. the way down into the brainstem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 need to take much more seriously too. You know the the things we do, the things we say, and right. uh, and people can go to planetpuna.com again and take a look at the safe baby resolution that um, we're getting up there because we're still modifying it. We're still incorporating various things to it. They can look at the domestic harmony proclamations. We can initiate action individually. Well, Star, I want to make people. Uh, understand that the safe baby initiative is actually something that's happening here in missouri and that's a miracle in and of itself because missouri is about as 
Neanderthal as it comes. You know, I when, that. They're, they're about ready to change as anybody. Right. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I, I, we can't even have midwives here. You realize that the midwifery is absolutely, I mean, not only can you not do it professionally, it's against the law. Yes, which is pretty short-sighted because in working with Janelle Miranda down there and with my brother over in New Hampshire who's a emergency physician with Homeland Security and Austin practice up in New Hampshire, he's actually developed with another physician a birthing plan or an emergency um, catastrophic birthing plan because what are we going to do should all kinds of things happen in different parts of our country like right now? What if somebody was having a baby yesterday when the earthquake was happening? Right. And lo and behold, now what is she going to do? Where is the help? Or someone in Missouri with more hurricanes or fires or something. How can we allow our expected moms to just like, hello, be stranded like that, to be abandoned, to be left, mm. to whatever could be around, to help her have her baby, the most precious thing of her life, her child? How can we do anything but make sure that she's carefully and properly attended right, right. in a way that's first, best for the child. Right, the first priority. The first, first priority. absolute first priority is the children. I mean, that's the obvious one. And like you say, However, from the beginning... Michael, look what we've been doing. It's zero obvious at all. Look what we are doing. Well, it's obvious to me. And, uh, we, we, and I guess that's the challenge, is to make it obvious. Yes. Because well, the children are obviously, to me, again where everything begins. You know, if you solve the problems with the children, everything else is solved de facto. Of course. Naturally, yes. So. Putting our attention, prioritizing it again, putting it where it's really needed the most and where it's the easiest way to make a big difference. Mm. It's this one thing of taking care of the babies and the moms that are coming will make the biggest difference of all. The prison system, for example shut down their doors, largely, then you only have, like, seriously hardcore and in a generation that would even be changed. Mm -hmm. with, right? Mm -hmm. This whole, um, see, there's just a story yesterday about how the um, violent crimes in America is up. This has to change, but it happens because of the violence done between mothers and infants at birth, mm -hmm. for example, or the violence that the mom was subjected to yeah. when she was pregnant. Yes. So we can address these things. We can actively make a difference in every state, in every listener, in every country in the world by helping to assure that we give better, that we watch the inputs and the influences that are going to these new children. Hmm. All right. Well, look, you guys, we've got a couple more minutes here to wrap things up. And uh, I've got some things for the last hour of the program that I had scheduled that I have to take care of. So let's take a few minutes to just sort of, uh, I don't know, collect our thoughts, talk about anything else you'd like to share. Laura, we want to talk about Laura. And Michael oh, yeah. has been working more directly with Laura. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. no, Michael, oh, and oh, we yeah. do have a gift for, um, let's say, like the first ten people who make a contribution of note, let's say whatever that is, ah, yeah. to your show. We'd like to gift them one of our shirts from the Cetacean Commonwealth. Yeah, they should be done in, certainly within a month, but we'll, um, you know, maybe a couple weeks. All right, well, uh, for, for the listeners out there, if you didn't hear that, I haven't mentioned anything about Pledge Drive for the last half hour or so, but it is Pledge Drive. We're looking to raise money for the station and for the program. And Michael and Starr have uh, just now graciously uh, donated 10 T-shirts to my first 10 uh, contributors. And, and 
I'll, I'll make sure you guys get a T-shirt from, from Michael and Star. And I think Larry's involved in that project. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. He's got this beautiful artwork, things like a, a nebula with a dolphin leaping out of it. Oh, yeah, he's uh, awesome. awesome. A full moon with a dolphin leaping out of the water, uh, a blue whale against the space background. I mean, it's <laughs> amazing nice. stuff. Um, and uh, so we're in the process of doing things like color separations for silkscreen like that. Great. And it'll, it'll be done soon, and we'll have a line of T-shirts. You know, Larry's just really, really blossoming right now too. He's got so many talents in so many different areas. He and 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 uh, you know, I consider it an absolute miracle that he found me. I didn't find him. He just came to me one day. You know, and, he absolutely loves what you're doing. Oh, he's he's just an amazing, amazing. Loves what we're doing too. He sure does. He sure does. And he wants to get back to Hawaii really badly. And uh, and we're gonna help him. Yes, we're going to get him there. There's no question about it. Oh, yeah, we could do a drive for, um, bring Larry home. <laughs> bring Larry right. home, back to Paris. Larry home for whale season. So, well, he's going, to, he's going to get himself there and his family, I'm, I'm certain of it. And, and uh, you, you, you guys are certainly helping him do it. And, and, and he, he just has multiple talents from music to flash to graphics oh. to art to webmastering to just amazing. And and speaking of the heart, he's one of the biggest, wonderfully hearted individuals I've ever met. So I love Larry, and thank you for everything you do for us. Back to what we were saying about just at the top of this segment and what we'd spoken about during the break when we were talking about what about the children. So we were saying about how hands are for holding mm -hmm. and for touching. Our hands are for holding, arms are for embracing, and hearts are for touching. So when someone does something from the heart, it touches us. We feel it. That's why you're a perfect political candidate or you're a perfect candidate for office or public servant is someone who touches your heart that you feel a resonance with, that you say, all right, they might see this differently or that differently, but I can feel their heart, mm. and I know it's good. And when we put heart-centered people in to run our government, then we'll have a whole different environment and a whole different scene than we have now. And we have the elections coming up in, what, a couple, three weeks, so... Yeah, people should go out and meet as many of their candidates as they can. Shake their hands, get close, watch them closely. I agree, I agree. And shaking their hands, I mean, the, the, for me, and it has nothing to do with the strength of their hand, it's something about physical touch, uh -huh. you know, about actually becoming in contact with them. You ever see that movie, The Dead Zone? It was a Stephen King novel, actually, that was made into a movie, but, but, but there was one particular instance or section of the book that I thought really came through well in video on the movie and, and Christopher Walken plays this sort of creepy uh, psychic dude who's had a near-death experience and he can now sort of see the future right and he shakes the hand of a politician who's a real nasty dude and he immediately you know has this intense reaction to this guy's particular energy you know and, vibe. and uh, yeah his vibe for sure and it's a great scene in the movie and it's really and they make it really extreme or whatever but but at any rate I, I sort of have always thought that, that that you have to touch someone in a physical sense and you can you can really get a feel for them and I guess all of these words are metaphors for the same thing mm -hmm. yeah. and one other thing I'd like to mention is um, my incoming granddaughter <laughs> <laughs> And to my son, Tiger, and Angelica, his princess. Um, this will be the last show before the baby comes. Wow. And um, I just want to say how, how excited I am and how delighted I am. And that also in their faith that the world is here 
in a way that's going to be good for this baby to come into it. Absolutely. That in one generation or two now, we'll have come to a world where we can have our babies with dolphins, where we can have an interspecies birth cohort, where we can share a future together. And I just want to say I'm really touched and very thankful that they've said yes to life. Hmm. Well, I wish you the best of luck with your your soon-to-come grandchild. And, you know, I've had this, uh, the idea of babies is always in my mind, but most recently much greater than normal because we just had our baby, you know, a few weeks ago. And I was so uh, anxious and, uh, you know, a little bit frightened and all that that comes with the, with, with the awaiting of a new child. And I had this prayer Sorry, that, that, that I would say over and over again, thousands of times, I think, between, between the time that the baby was actually conceived and I knew about it and the time that Lucas actually came to us. Uh-huh. I said this prayer a, a thousand million times, and I'm going to say it right now for your, for your, for your oh, grandchild. You. And it goes like this. There's, a, there's an angel, and it's not really, I'm not really sure if it, if it has anything to do particularly with any tradition, be it Christian or otherwise, but uh, the entity is named Cadmiel. And the prayer goes like this. It says, Holy Cadmiel, bring your precious jewel to earth. Grace and health, love and peace, joy and celebration. Surround our new family, now and forever. And that's what I feel for you and your family and for me and my family and for all of our pod uh, uh-huh. that is much bigger than our own individual families because our pods are, are merging and I love every minute of it. Yes. And we're merging into harmony. <clears throat> so here's the swirling that energy of harmony again, which is what the Cetacean Commonwealth is about. And we have a new logo for the Commonwealth and we'll put it up on Planet Puna as soon as we have time because it just came in today. All right. And we will link to it as soon as you get it up there, okay? And we'll put out our press release for the Swish Vote. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll hope everything kicks it up. All Some right. Associated Press is looking for it. <laughs> I love it. We'll have just a little... All right. Yes. We love you, Michael. Thank yes. you. And your audience, thank you so much for being here. Aloha. 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 Michael. Michael, you thank you so much, Star. Thanks as always, okay? Um, yeah, you bet. Wonderful, big aloha, Dr. Michael Heisen, the wonderful Star Newland. Thank you both so much. All right, everybody, on the web, www.planetpuna.com. And you heard it here first, but you're going to hear more from Michael and Star, trust me, in the future. Wonderful stuff that they're doing out there in Hawaii. And we're doing great stuff here in Columbia, Missouri as well. And one of the things that we're doing to try to keep doing good things is raising money. And uh, the way we raise money is to ask our listeners to support us. So that's what I'm going to do right now. And I'm going to play a little piece of produced material, actually, to do it for me. Back in just a minute, this mic, you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. All right, and also on the web, KOPN.org. Most of my listeners listen over the web and over the Internet, So, and there's also no one here to answer the phones right now because it's 1 o'clock in the morning. So if you are interested in uh, supporting this program, which I sincerely hope that you are, please hop on the web. Go to KOPN.org and just... Uh, Follow the, the, the little links that are very simple to see, and you can donate and contribute to the station, to the cause, and to Radio Orbit. All right? All right, Mike, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, just a couple minutes after 1 a.m., now the 17th of October, 2006. And uh, thank you to Michael and Star. All right, let's see. we got about an hour left to go with the program. I have a half an hour interview that I have to air for you still, Dr. 
Miguel Jose Yacaman. So I think that we'll do that now. And I'll talk a little bit about it before we do that piece. Then I can come back and sort of finish up with whatever we have time for. All right? All right, so check this out. The way I guess I want to introduce the article or, or, or the interview has to do with, uh, believe it or not, population reduction. I've been talking about this on the air a little bit over the last, uh, the last few weeks. Kent Stedman got me thinking about it because he posted a bunch of old information about Henry Kissinger. And, well, it's related to a story that I found and uh, that I read about in a peer-reviewed scientific journal called PhysOrg back in uh, the middle part of 2005, and it had to do with silver and uh, actually silver nanoparticles and the quality of silver nanoparticles with regard to the fighting of disease and uh, the mitigating of bacteria and virus. The press release that actually came out came out on the 18th of October in 2005, and I read the first line of the of the piece many times on the air and I'm going to read it again one more time because I think it's about as stunning a piece of journalism has been done in the last few years but uh, it simply says this in a groundbreaking study the Journal of Nanotechnology has published a study that found silver nanoparticles kill HIV-1 and is likely to kill virtually any other virus the study which was conducted by the University of Texas and Mexico University at at Nuevo Leon is the first medical study to ever explore the benefits of silver nanoparticles. Anyway, I got very interested in this for obvious reasons, it seemed to me. And over the last year and a half, I got really interested because I found out how disinterested everybody else was. And I couldn't understand why. So, eventually, I contacted the doctor who actually ran the study and did the research. His name is Jose Yacaman, and he's a professor, a recent-dowed professor emeritus at the University of Texas at Austin. And we had a couple of conversations back and forth over email and on the phone, and I, and I convinced him to spend a little bit of his time talking with me. And I'm going to play that interview for you in just a few minutes here. But the, the reason that I, that I bring up population control and a guy like Henry Kissinger is because there is an active and effective agenda to do exactly that, control population and minimize it. And they have very nefarious means of doing so. Let's just leave it at that. You know, you can do your own research. But there's a tremendous amount of effort to bring population down on this planet, human population. There, there are plenty of other populations of different species that are being brought down, but that's maybe not so intentional, <laughs> interestingly enough. Anyway, check this out, if you think I'm FOS. In National Security Memo 200, this was dated at, uh, April 24, 1974, entitled Implications of Worldwide Population Growth for U.S. Security and Overseas Interests, uh, there's a quote here from Dr. Kissinger, Dr. Kissinger, some doctor. Do no harm, right, Dr. Kissinger? Dr. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, proposed in his memorandum to the National Security Council that, quote, depopulation should be the highest priority of U.S. foreign policy towards the third world. He quoted reasons of national security and because, again, quote, 
The U.S. economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from less developed countries. Wherever a lessening of population can increase the prospects for such stability, population policy becomes relevant to resources, supplies, and the economic interests of the United States. So anyway, uh, back in the mid-70s, depopulation policy became the, the number one priority under the National Security Council agenda. The Club of Rome, uh, clowns like Alexander Haig and Cyrus Vance and, and Ed Muskie, uh, Kissinger, Brzezinski, Robert McNamara, the guy who used to run the World Bank. He talked about the population, he called it, he called it a population crisis and said it was the greatest threat to U.S. national security. Greater threat than nuclear annihilation, any of this stuff, right? So anyway, Kissinger in 1975 established a policy planning group in the U.S. Department of uh, Population Affairs, actually. It's called the Depopulation Global 2000 Document, and it was prepared for, uh, for Jimmy Carter when he was president. And the idea was uh, what they would like to have accomplished by the year 2000. It's horrendous, right? Anyway, you know, it's no surprise that this sort of policy is established uh, with the help of guys like Henry Kissinger and Zbigniew Brzezinski. And it's actually amazing to me because these are guys that are, that are bantered around on the talk shows and on the television circuit on Saturday and Sunday morning. The red carpet is rolled out for people like Henry Kissinger and Zbigniew Brzezinski. Why, I have no idea. You know, We're talking about the, the pledge drive here. We have um, NPR during the day and BBC News as well. And it's really interesting to me, actually, uh, listeners of KOPN really support these programs. They support uh, NPR and uh, the BBC programs big time. We have a show uh, that's aired at 9 o'clock every morning. It's called the Diane Ream Show. Right? It, and it raises a lot of money for the station. And it's confounding to me. And it's actually really frightening to me because it shows me that even KOPN listeners are, you know, bamboozled by the propaganda. I mean, Diane Ream is as claptrap as it comes. You know, she, she, uh, she panders to guys like Brzezinski and Kissinger and James Baker, scumbag. Like James Baker was on her program just the other morning because he wrote a fancy new book or something. You want to hear something about James Baker? And this is James Baker, Jimmy Baker, not James the Fourth, who most people don't even know exists, and who works in the Office for Intelligence, OIPR. I forget what the last, uh, what the R is for, the Office of Intelligence Policy Review, I think it is. Look into James Baker. Look into James, uh, Jamie Baker. Jamie is the young one. That's James Baker's son. And he holds a very important position in government, by the way. And it has to do with uh, the FISA courts, and it has to do with terrorism and all this stuff. It's interesting that you never hear his name, huh? But anyway, the daddy, James Baker, who's uh, as dirty as they come, uh, he was on the Diane Reem show just the other morning, and they were talking about what a wonderful guy he is, basically. You know, He, said, he actually said something. He's been on all the talk shows lately. He was actually on Jon Stewart's show, which is where a lot of people get their news these days. What do they call it? The Daily Show, right? Anyway... It has to do with, um, uh, he was talking actually about the situation in North Korea. Uh, pardon me, but listen to this. I'll read you something real quick. If you're all bent out of shape about North Korea and nuclear weapons, which is just m manipulation anyway. Here you go. Here's a, here's, a, here's a story from the National Security News Service. 
The blast from North Korea's relatively diminutive nuclear test has been nearly drowned out this week by the sound of pundits chattering. But amidst all the talk, nary a word has been said about the bombshell dropped by former Secretary of State James Baker on Monday. Appearing on Comedy Central's The Daily Show to plug his new book, Baker casually disclosed that North Korea has had a crude nuclear capacity since the time that the first President Bush was in office. That's George Herbert Walker Bush. Quote, They had a rudimentary nuclear weapon way back in the days when I was Secretary of State, Baker said. All right. I don't have to say any more. The North Korea business is shtick. It's PR. It's propaganda. It was aired and, and, and used for a purpose when it was required. Same thing happens all the time, right? The Foley scandal is the big news, and not because of Mark Foley. I mean, a little bit because of him, but really because Mark Foley and the business that he's involved in is the tip of an enormous iceberg in Washington and around this whole country. And it has to do with scumbag pedophiles that harm children, right? So this is what's trying to be hidden. And I'll tell you something. Eventually, somebody, guys and girls out there, somebody's going to pull the thread. Somebody's going to pull it. They're going to continue to pull the thread. And then the sweater's going to come off. And then everybody out there who's doing this sort of stuff, it doesn't matter what your party is. It doesn't matter what your silly ideology is. It doesn't matter what your political or religious affiliation is. You're going to be shown for what you are. So, people like James Baker, people like Henry Kissinger, people like all these uh, rapers and harmers of children, enjoy it while it lasts. Because the veil is being pulled back. The curtain is being raised. And the light is coming. And you guys don't like light so much. Alright? Population control is BS. The earth is abundant. Scarcity is manufactured. Solutions abound. They do. Solutions abound. So here's one solution. I hope it makes its way back to, back to Kissy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Radio Orbit. It's Mike. And I'd like to introduce my guest right now. His name is Dr. Miguel Jose Yacoman. Dr. Yacoman is a recent-dowed professor in engineering at the University of Texas at Austin. And he's doing remarkable work in the emerging and fast-evolving field of nanotechnology. So without further delay, I'd just like to introduce Dr. Yakman and say hello, and thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So I also know you're a very busy man for sure, so let's get going right away. First of all, for the people who aren't very familiar with nanotechnology, perhaps you could talk just a little bit about nanotechnology in general and what it is, and then maybe we can talk a little bit more specifically about the particular work that you're doing. Sure, okay. Well, nanotechnology is an emerging science that came out uh, as a combination of uh, physics, uh, biology, and engineering, and basically is the manipulation of the matter at the nanoscale level, and a nanometer is 10 to the 9 uh, meters, and 10 to the minus 9 meters. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, typically, the nanometer size is the size of the DNA molecule. So we are really working in the scale of the, some of the most interesting uh, biological molecules. 
And I would say that nanotechnology is the science that uh, is trying to manipulate the matter at that scale to uh, produce new new uh, results. And the thing is that when you change the size of the of a crystal, for instance, and instead of being a bulk crystal, mm-hmm. you make it a nano-sized crystal. Then the properties change dramatically, and then uh, you you can control those properties by controlling the size and the shape, and that's what nanotechnology is all about. Hmm. Uh, maybe you could expand a little bit on how the properties change when you get to these smaller scales. Sure. For instance, uh, let me give you a very simple example. Uh, the color of the things change. The 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 light that things emit or the way they reflect light change. For instance, the gold, uh, if you have bulk gold, it has this yellow color right. that everybody knows. But if you make it in the form of nano nanoparticles, it will uh, become either red or yellow or even green. Hmm. And then uh, it's just uh, a demonstration how the optical properties uh, in general can be changed uh, with the nanotechnology manipulation. And so uh, just as optical properties can be changed, many other properties can be changed as well. That's right. Uh, for instance, the electronic properties, so something that is a, an insulator might become a metal or something mm-hmm. which is a metal might become a semiconductor and then might be useful for uses in nanoelectronics, what is called nanoelectronics, mm-hmm. which is the next generation of electronics that uh, we are going to see in the future. And, and nanotechnology is basically having an effect on, on all areas of technology, all areas of endeavor. That's right. Well, you know, there's, there's no question about that nanotechnology is going to produce in this century the same effect that microelectronics produce in the second half of the 20th century. Hmm. So the microelectronics really came and changed uh, the way we do things and, uh, you know, the use of computers everywhere just change completely our society. Right. In the same sense, nanotechnology is going to produce that change in the 21st century. That's no question about it. I mean, that's very clear that many of the most dramatic technological advances will come from nanotechnology. Hmm. Just in a general sense, how far along do you feel we are? It seems that we're prob- at least my impression is that we're sort of obviously at the beginning of this curve, but it does seem to me also to be accelerating extremely rapidly. That's right. Well, you know, the thing is that uh, I would say that uh, a lot of the nanotechnology effort uh, started, uh, let's say, uh, uh, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the leading force was, of course, the United States. There was a big investment on nanotechnology. But now you can see uh, worldwide development. And then there is strong uh, impulse in the European community and in the Asian countries, Japan and China, and, uh, and even in Latin America. So you are seeing a really worldwide development. And that means that uh, the thing is going to happen faster than we expected. Hmm. And I would say the time span to start to see if things uh, coming out to the market would be probably five years or so. Wow. For the most solid, uh, you know, first solid products to come out of the nanotechnology. Interesting. And molecular manufacturing falls into the same sort of idea? 
Ah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So it would be exactly the same thing in the molecular manufacturing. Amazing. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your particular specialty and your, uh, your your favorite work to do in nanotechnology. What are you uh, working on these days? Well, I am a, basically I'm a physicist by training. So my my specialities, uh, I work in nanoparticles. So I try to prepare nanoparticles at uh, at the level of uh, nano size, special metals, and then I also do electron microscopy. So my my uh, most strong background is in electron microscopy. So I can mm. use uh, uh, this instrument to look at uh, into the matter, and that's more or less what I'm doing now. So I am using nanoparticles for different uh, things, like uh, optical uh, properties, as I mentioned before, which have a a number of applications in the medical field, uh, and then I am using the nanoparticles to study the effects on bacteria and viruses. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, uh, we have this proof that uh, <clears throat> nanoparticles are extremely effective to destroy and bacteria and to inactivate viruses. Right, right. How do you create a nanoparticle? I know that one of your expertises is actually making nanoparticles. That's Talk right. a little bit about that, maybe. Okay, you, you use chemical methods. You use basically chemical synthesis. And the methods are uh, basically what have been, uh, you know, well-known methods uh, uh, of uh, uh, reduction of metals. You, you take a, a salt of the metal and then you reduce the salt to pure metal. And depending upon the way you do it, you prepare the nanoparticle. <clears throat> you can also use physical methods, such as evaporation from a source and then condensation, mm-hmm. like droplets of uh, rain on a, on a surface. It's the same idea, except that you do it with vapors of metals. Mm-hmm. And, and there are many, many other methods to prepare the particles, but the ones I use basically are the chemical methods, which, by the way, were developed initially by Faraday in the 19th century hmm. to make colloids. So what we are doing right now are important variations of what was discovered back then. But I would say the basis for this uh, technology was established in the 19th century. Amazing. Amazing. The whole thing rings of alchemy to me. That's right. That's right. In fact, uh, but you know, the, the origin of the word alchemy comes from a, a, a Chinese technique in the Middle Ages that we used to produce uh, uh, gold colloids, gold nanoparticles, mm. and then they call it chemia. Mm. And then when the Arabs uh, later on uh, took that uh, technology to the, to the Arab world, they, they add the word al, yeah, and then it became alchemy. Mm. Okay? So the, the beginning of the chemistry was always uh, linked to this idea of preparing these uh, matters in a small form. Amazing. Now, why is it that it seems like uh, precious metals like gold and silver seem to be used frequently? Well, the reason is that they are very, you are going to use it for biological uh, purposes. These metals are very benign with the human cells, okay? They are non-toxic. Mm. So that's why we really prefer those metals. Uh, they do not oxidize, and uh, 
uh, they they really have very nice properties, so they, they they can be controlled very nicely. Okay, and they interact well with biology. That's right. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whereas if you use another material, they might be more aggressive. Okay. Huh. What uh, what about carbon? Well, carbon is is a very interesting material. It has beautiful properties. The carbon nanotubes is one of the discoveries of the nanotechnology. However, at this point. Uh, the interaction between carbon nanotubes and cells is not very clear. Uh, there is some debate, but there is, might be a good chance that there is some toxicity there. Hmm. Okay, so, uh, you know, the issue of toxicity of nanoparticles and nanotubes and everything is something that we have to investigate more. Okay. Uh, what are fullerenes? Well, fullerenes is uh, molecules of carbon. It's another form of carbon. You know, carbon is a fascinating material. It has uh, uh, different phases, uh, crystal phases. For instance, diamond is carbon, pure carbon. And then it's a very hard material, very transparent. And then you have uh, carbon in the form of graphite, which is a black, soft material. And then you can prepare uh, carbon with the shape of a, food, a soccer ball uh, shape. And then this is a spherical molecule, if you will, mm -hmm. made of carbon, which is called fullerenes, okay? okay? Which also were one of the beginnings of the nanotechnology. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you. That's a good little bit of background on, 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 your, on your work in nanotechnology in general, okay? Okay, thank you. Now, here's, uh, here's the biggie, or at least one of the biggies on my list. Back in October of... Last year, October uh, 2005, mm -hmm. I read an article that was published in um, uh, an online journal that's called Physorg. But uh, basically, I'm going to read the first sentence of it here. Mm -hmm. I've, I've read it on the air before, and uh, it just starts like this. It says, the headline actually says, Silver Kills Viruses, Study Finds. Again, mm -hmm. Tuesday, October 18, 2005. In a groundbreaking study, the Journal of Nanotechnology has published a study that found silver nanoparticles kills HIV-1 and is likely to kill virtually any other virus. Mm -hmm. The study, which was conducted by the University of Texas and Mexico University at Nuevo Leon, is the first medical study to ever explore the benefits of silver nanoparticles, according to Fizark. Uh, and it goes on. And then, of course, uh, it uh, gave me access to the full paper, which was... Amazing work, first of all, Dr. Yakman. Thank you so much for this work. No, thank you. Thank you for your comments. And uh, it was done in association, in association with a number of other people who you may, may wish to mention or not, but I'd like you to talk about this work. Sure. Well, let me tell you that this was done with my students. Uh, many of the names uh, that appear in the paper are my students, uh, Jose Luis Elichiguerra, uh, Justin Bolt and mm -hmm. Ruben Morones, and then with another collaborator from the University of Nuevo León in Mexico, uh, Dr. Humberto Lara. Yes. Okay? But that was under this, this uh, team. So basically what we find in this work, uh, you know, is that, as, as I mentioned before, silver has been known from centuries to have antibacterial properties. And then we try to uh, understand... Uh, how this works, okay? Mm -hmm. And then we prepare a different kind of uh, material, uh, very small nanoparticles, uh, not not uh, 
not seen before. And then we discovered that these very small nanoparticles tend to kill uh, bacteria much more effectively. And in the process of doing that, by accident in one of our cultures we had a virus. And then we noticed that the virus was, uh, the particles were deposited on the virus. Mm-hmm. Now at that time we didn't really have any control, but then the idea was that uh, we discovered that the nanoparticles also look for the viruses. And then we decided to do it in a more systematic way. And then we chose HIV because it's a, such a tremendous illness that is still, you know, being uh, not totally under control. Yes. And then uh, we tested the nanoparticles uh, with uh, uh, HIV, and then we discovered that the nanoparticles deactivate the virus. They selectively deposit in the proteins that the virus used to infect the body. So and they uh, they uh, 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 and effectively uh, kill the virus. Okay. okay. Now we did, uh, we believe this is extremely important because uh, the mechanism in which the nanoparticles kill the virus should be more general. So it should be working not only for HIV for for another retrovirus such as the papilloma human papilloma virus, okay. the Newcastle virus, and then uh, and so on and so on. Okay. And that's a, we believe this is an important thing that to pursue and to and to study. Okay. Well, I should say so. I think that's an understatement. Um, mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Uh, the the actual paper, I think, was published in March of 2005. That's right. And uh, it, it, it got a little bit of press in, um, uh, in October, a few months later, but very little uh, since then because I've kept, I keep my eyes open. Sure. And, and um, I guess... It's been 18 months. Uh, can you tell us where the work is today? Have you made further progress? Are you still pursuing it? Yes, we're still making further progress. And then, you know, what we're trying to develop right now is a, a test to, uh, a de- to find out whether a person is infected with HIV instantaneously. Because, you know, right now the problem with the test that we have now is that you have to create antibodies. So, it takes sometimes four months after the infection to really be able to detect uh, the illness. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And in many cases, you have to uh, know immediately the, the situation. So we are working in developing uh, a, a new test, okay? uh, uh, developing a new test using silver nanoparticles that will allow us to uh, make instant assessment whether a person is infected or not. And, you know, if you talk to some doctors, in some cases, uh, uh, especially if they get people with uh, accidents, they have to know immediately whether this person is infected or not. Yes. And also, you know, for prevention of the, of the, of the test, the way we envision this is that we will be able to make a, such a simple test that people will use it uh, in a more wide way mm. okay, to, to prevent the infection. Right. But let me tell you that what is very exciting that, uh, and I just learned about this, is that uh, it's going to be a, a HIV conference in Mexico City in this December. And then the, uh, a group of uh, medical doctors from Houston, and I can give you the names uh, of, of these persons, mm-hmm. have 
tested with actual patients, uh, HIV, uh, HIV patients, nanoparticles of silver basin or work, and apparently what they report is that they can reduce the viral load by 88, uh, 68%. Wow. Which is a big thing. Now, I am very willing to, I haven't spoke to these people yet. I, I really like to talk to them. I just learned about that a few days ago. Mm-hmm. But if that is really true, then it's a, a big breakthrough on the, on the way the, the HIV can be treated. Wow, that's wonderful news. And I was going to make a comment about uh, the AIDS conferences and this sort of thing. It's wonderful news that they're going to have something there in Mexico City and, mm-hmm. and that uh, I'm not sure. W- will you be participating in that? No, I will not be, but I will try to uh, contact the people presenting right. this work. Good, good, because because in, in the, the, the research that I've done in the last year and a half, just snooping around uh, at different conferences and such, I've found no mention of this work whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that it's very important, and I was quite surprised that uh, that very few people were even aware that it's being done, you know? Well, you know, the, the reason, the, the basic reason that uh, I, I can tell you from this is that, you know, the, the, the problem with the science in the modern day that we have to, to break that is that the barriers between disciplines. Mm. You know, sometimes people in one discipline do not read the advancements of the, of the people in the other disciplines. Right, right, right. So, and that's something that uh, nanotechnology is helping to break because by nature nanotechnology is interdisciplinary, okay? Mm-hmm. And remember the medical establishment is very conservative and they have to be because, you know, they're dealing with human lives. And they tend to, you know, discoveries tend to make his way to the medical community in longer times, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Hmm? Right, yeah. Okay, let me ask your opinion about this. I also read some congressional testimony uh, from a couple of years back that's sort of unrelated to your work, but possibly related. It had to do with uh, with silver being used against malaria. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm guessing that it's perhaps just sort of the same story, uh, but maybe you could comment on that. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about cancer, perhaps. Sure. Well, let me tell you, malaria is a big uh, illness, especially outside the United States, and uh, even though it's coming in the United States, but it's a really big illness outside the United States, yes. in the tropical countries. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, I am not uh, familiar with the word you mentioned, but it seems to me a very high possibility that uh, you know it can be used uh, against that. Okay? Okay. That's no question about it. Uh, and then there is other illnesses which are you know affected affect a lot of people that it should. Be, uh, we should be able to prevent it by using silver nanoparticles, for instance. And I am just mentioned that uh, we are devising the possibility of uh, doing a vaginal cream that can be used for prevention uh, uh, during the, the sexual act. Oh, an AIDS preventative cream, absolutely. That's right, but you know, sometimes... Uh, because of the culture or because whatever reason, mm. sometimes uh, uh, people have unprotected sex. Yes. And uh, the woman has to find out a way to protect herself. And I guess the use of these creams will protect not only against HIV, but also against another infection. Sure. And that's the way we are, the thing we are developing right now as, a, as an advance of our work. Wow. Yeah. Again, congratulations. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. 
All right. Um, I have read over the last few years some pretty interesting research that's pointing to the potential possibility of many cancers being actually caused by microorganisms. Mm-hmm, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps you could address that with regard to your work. Is, is, there, is there application perhaps there? Well, let me, let me tell you one application that people is pursuing in, in this thing. Uh, uh, of course, uh, nanoparticles will be able to kill organisms that might produce cancer, okay? Mm-hmm. But most important, uh, because of the reasons I... I explained you at the beginning of this uh, uh, talk, nanoparticles uh, can, if, if you uh, put an antibody to a nanoparticle, you functionalize the particle with an antibody, uh, the, the particle will look specifically for a tumor, okay? Uh-huh. Stick to the tumor, and then once that is in the tumor, you can... Uh, excite the particle with uh, light, for instance, with a laser beam or with a magnetic beam, mm-hmm. and then the particle will heat up and destroy the tumor. Okay. I guess that is going to be in the future the most likely treatment for, for tumors, okay? Because the particles will be very specific, will deposit on the tumor, and then you will be able to destroy the tumor by using the nanoparticles. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's, that's probably one of the most important applications of the nanoparticles in the medical field that we're going to see in the future. Okay. And, you know, part of my group is developing that. We are trying to shape nanoparticles in such a way that they will become uh, uh, heated with uh, laser beam. Uh, so they will emit light, but they, they also will be heated and then destroy the the tumor, and then we are trying to shape the nanoparticles in such a way that this will be uh, more effective. Okay. Wow. All right. Okay, I have, um, I have one more question for you, if I could. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about silver. As you, you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why silver and gold are used is because they have such a benign reaction with biology. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you think it might be possible to incorporate silver nanoparticles, for example, into, into a biological matrix, like into the matrix of a bacteria or a fungus or a plant or something like that. Mm-hmm. To, to kill the bacteria or to, uh, what, what would be the idea? Well, the idea would be to, to somehow incorporate silver into a bacteria, for example, and then use the bacteria to heal. Okay, okay, that might be would grow. Sure, sure. Where it would grow, for example. Sure, you, you know sure, I mean? sure that would be a, a, a very very interesting uh, application. Sure, it's possible. You see, there's, in nanotechnology right now, uh, there is no boundaries that we can do, okay? It's just a matter of putting together teams of expertise of people and then do it. Amazing. So it sounds really a, an amazing possibility. Now, the thing is that, you know, there is a... A lot of new industries, especially small companies, which are now doing products based on silver nanoparticles mm-hmm. that uh, can prevent infections, for instance, for severe burns, uh, for instance, for uh, cleaning water, for decontamination of water, and so on. So the, the use of silver nanoparticles for anti, anti, uh, antibacterial uses is becoming more general. Well, you are at the forefront of that work, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, what you and your team are doing. So 
Thank you so much. And and uh, perhaps we can stay in touch, and I'll and I'll contact you sometime after December, and we can talk a little bit about how that conference went in uh, in Mexico City. That's right. And in fact, uh, if you want, I can send you the link of the of the uh, of the uh, what they've been announcing the conference, and then they. They make a preliminary report, which is very exciting. Yes, that would be wonderful, and I'll put a link up on my website to it, okay? Okay. Wonderful, okay. Dr. Yakman. Well, thank you so much. One more time, you can thank all the members of your team, from me and my listeners. It's wonderful information. I'm greatly appreciative that we have the chance to share it. Thank you very much to you for uh, listening to our work. All right. Take care of yourself, all right? Okay. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you have it, and that's an interview that I did just about a week ago with Dr. Miguel Jose Yakman. Uh, Doctor of Physics at the University of Texas in Austin. And amazing work that Dr. Yakaman and his team are, are doing. And I suggest that uh, if you weren't listening closely to that interview, that you listen to it again. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, let's see. we got about 15 minutes left. I want to play a couple more songs before, uh, before I bail out of here. It is Pledge Drive. Get on the web. KOPN.org and help support KOPN and Radio Orbit and the other wonderful programs that uh, are brought to you from this radio station. That's all I ask. Support us. Support this show if you think it's worth it. All right? Back in a minute, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit. Here's another wonderful song by Larry Norager. It's uh, the blues is what it is. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it after we come back. All right? All right, it's Mike, and I'll talk to you in just a moment. Oh, 
Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And we got a few minutes here to finish things up. One more time, Pledge Drive Week. Get on the web, KOPN.org. Click on the Pledge button and support Radio Orbit and KOPN. You know, one of the things that we're doing here that we're trying to raise money for is to bring a live stream out to the world 24-7. Right now... I'm sort of hijacking the airwaves of Cosmic Waves Radio, and uh, that's the only way I get my stream out to you guys. I'm doing it because I have the benefit of Cosmic Waves, but pretty soon we're going to have KOPN everybody streaming, and that's going to cost us about $60 a day, believe it or not, to do that. So those are the kind of things that we use this money for. If you came down here to KOPN, you'd see that we don't have a lot of frivolous uh, spending. It's not mahogany desks and uh, leather couches, trust me. It's old stuff, and uh, I'm looking at the microwave right now, and I think it's the first microwave that was ever manufactured. I don't know, I, I, but it really works still. It heats things up. Who knows what's happening to them, but it heats them up. Anyway, all right, uh, you just heard a song um, from Larry Norger that was a live blues recorded in the year 2000, and it was actually recorded that, that off the of TV, uh, so the quality's a little rough, but it's the blues, so that's the way we like it, all right? And anyway... The guy playing the drums was actually Louis Armstrong's nephew. His name is Moses Armstrong. And uh, Duke Ellington's nephew, whose name is Ron Ellington, sang in the song and played keyboard. All right, so anyway, Larry has been around for a long time, and he's played with, some many, uh, uh, played with many amazing musicians. He is one himself, and I'm really pleased that we got to hear some of his music tonight. We'll hear one more on the way out. But we'll hear more from Larry in the future, for sure. And uh, he's doing lots of work right now with Dr. Heisen and Star, and he has lots of irons in the fire. So if you like what Larry's doing, get a hold of him, either through me or through the website. And he actually has his own website at uh, uh, islandsmultimedia.com. And you can link there from my site as well. Anyway, Larry's easy to get a hold of, and his work is outstanding and really cool. He's got a great heart. And he needs to get back out to Hawaii. So let's help him. All right? Okay, so next week, uh, Jan Irvin, the Pharmacratic Inquisition. Way to get a load of Jan Irvin. It's going to be great. Guys like Henry Kissinger will love him. Let's see. What else? Didn't do space weather tonight. Nothing of real note. So I won't waste the last couple minutes doing that. We'll do space weather next week when we come back with Jan Irvin. And 
Let's see if there's anything else that I thought that I needed to mention. Saturday, party at my house. All right, next Saturday. For anybody who pledges, get a hold of me. And you're invited to my place doing a special thing next Saturday, October 21st. Uh, big thanks to Will Wright for photos tonight. Big thanks to Henry Kissinger for being an ass. James Baker, too. Zbigniew Brzezinski, too. All these population control freaks. How about that? <laughs> okay, this is a good way to end the program. What I have for you here on the way out, let's see. We got a song appropriately titled On Sacred Ground. And it's a great way to finish the program off. Again, from Larry Norager. Wonderful music being written by Larry and produced and performed and all that stuff. And we got a chance to hear it all night tonight. All right? So we'll be back next week with Jan Irvin. Stick around. We've got wonderful music for the next couple, three hours with Cheryl Clapton coming up with Cool Creations right after this program. Thanks to everybody who uh, participated tonight. And thanks to Michael and Star for being on the program. And a big, big, big time thank you to Dr. Miguel Jose Yakaman for taking the time to talk with me and for doing the work that he is doing. All right? Okay, it's Mike. Radio Orbit back at you next week. And here's one more. From Larry Norager. This one is called On Sacred Ground. It's KOPN Columbia Radio Orbit. We'll talk to you next week.